This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's The Bull in Cleveland with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. Happy holidays, everybody. The 4th of July is nearly upon us, and we could celebrate this holiday. Talking some sports. What what is better? What is more Americana than sports? The obsession of this great nation. The one thing, maybe the only thing, that brings many of us together is our love of sports. And today, it's the Bull in Cleveland with me, Adam the Bull. And on the program, we will talk about the Cavs being very active the first few days of free agency. Plus, the Guardians with a wild win. Did they finally get revenge from the World Series in 2016? That's all coming up. The Bull in Cleveland with Adam the Bull, part of the Bet Rivers Network. You're listening to The Bull in Cleveland on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. Hope everybody's having a safe holiday. If you're, if you, by the way, don't be one of these idiots that blows his hand off, setting off fireworks. Now, I will admit, I'm a curmudgeon when it comes to fireworks. I don't like fireworks. I find them annoying. I don't. The lights bother my eyes. The noise is annoying. My dog goes ape shit every time. The, the my dog. My dog is insane. First of all, he can't. He goes, freaks out when it rains. Certainly when it's lightning and thunder. The fireworks. So for the next few days, like my dog's a mess. Well, that that pisses me off anyway. But I I can't stand fireworks. But at least when it's done professionally. Okay, I can understand the appreciation for that. But every year you have a bunch of idiots that think they know what the hell they're doing or they do some really stupid shit and end up blowing off fingers, toes, hands, heads. I don't know. So please, I need you all, all my listeners. I want you all with me. I want you to be healthy and happy. Eat your hot dogs, eat your burgers, whatever the hell else you're going to eat on the 4th of July. But don't blow off your hand. That's advice from, from me to you. Please, let the professionals handle the fireworks this holiday season. There are a lot of fireworks in the Cavs front office over the last few days. Cavs have been very busy. A lot of us who watched the Cavaliers get embarrassed by the New York Knicks in the first round of the playoffs said, hey, this team's got to make some serious changes. And they've made some changes. Is it enough? Well, we won't know until next April, not not in October, not in November, December, or January, February, March, or even the beginning of April, not until the playoffs start will we know if what the Cavs have done is enough. And now, and that's assuming that's all they're going to do. I don't know. But so far, the Cavs have made some interesting additions to the team. Let's begin with their re-signing of Karis LeVert, two years, $32 million. That was a no-brainer. Um, they could not use that money on anybody else, so it made sense to bring him back, even though he hasn't been great as a Cavalier. Then they signed a reported, again, none of these things are official until I believe Thursday becomes 
uh, the official when they can officially sign these deals and these contracts and and trades become official. Uh, but on Thursday, they will officially sign. I believe they've agreed to a three-year, twenty-six million-dollar deal with forward George Niang. Uh, Niang is a guy who has been in the league a while. He's thirty years old. His rookie year was 2016-17. He's bounced around a bit from Indiana to Utah to Philadelphia. He's always been a good three-point shooter. Uh, in fact, his his career, he's averaged over 40% from three. And the last three years, uh, he has averaged over, uh, over well, last two years, he's averaged five three-point attempts per game. So as a guy who who... And he doesn't play that much. I mean, he's averaged about 20 minutes a game in the last in last two years with Philly. He's averaged about 21 minutes a game and shooting five threes. That's a lot. You know, five threes playing 21 minutes a night is is and at his percentage again, he's over 40 percent the last two years, over 40 percent from his career. Uh, his first two years in league, he barely played. But in the in the five years he's played, the last three you know three with Utah, last two with Philly, his worst three point percentage was 40 even in the 1920 season. So the guy's a good three-point shooter um, and is a nice addition. Seems like a, you know, a fairly reasonable contract there as to, you know, what the Cavs are, are expecting from him. So you add, you, add, you bring Levert back, part of the second team. You bring Niang in, part of the second team. But what about the first team? You need a shooter on that first team. And the Cavs did that as well. Uh, what's, again, expected to be official later this week. They do a sign-and-trade deal for Max Struess. Now, Max Struess, obviously, has is a guy who was undrafted. Uh, Niang, by the way, was was drafted in the second round. Uh, Max Struess is a guy uh, who was not drafted at all, um, which is, you know, pretty crazy that the guys had this good a career, even though he, has, he wasn't drafted. Um, <clears throat> Struess, you know, was, uh, let's see, Struess ha- had a down year in terms of three-point shooting last year, but in his career, he's been a very good three-point shooter. Uh, it's a huge pay raise for him as well for, for George's, uh, for George Niang. Struess obviously was a big part of the, the Heat team that went to the finals, uh, in the games he shot well, they won. In the games he shot poorly, they didn't. I mean, that was that was a big thing. He didn't shoot it great in the playoffs, but overall in his career, uh, he's been a very good shooter. Four years in the league. Uh, last three with Miami. The last two, he's played significant minutes. It was a 41% shooter in 21-22, taking six and a half shots per game. And then this past year was down to 35%, shooting seven threes per game, averaging 28 minutes. So that's that's a lot. If you look at the the you know the the volume of shooting that they added, it's good. Now, are are the Cavs <clears throat> going to be a much more dangerous team in the playoffs? It's hard to say. They still have two big men who can't shoot from the outside. Now, we hope that Mobley will be able to. That'll be a part of his game that will improve. But as of now, they still have two big guys who can't shoot. Um, Struess will be a starter, 
and is a good player uh, is not what's he's not gonna be able to do anything defensively. That's an issue for the Cavaliers when you're playing some of the better teams in the East. Um, he's the addition you've made at the wing. Again, in terms of shooting, okay, thumbs up. He's really good. But defensively, he's another small guy. So if you're playing in the playoffs and you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Max Struess all out on the floor, well, uh, that's an issue um, because there's not a lot of great defense in that group. But in the end... I will give the Cavs credit here. Their biggest weakness was shooting, was outside shooting. We've heard Jason Lloyd, who's covered the Cavs for years, talk about shooting, shooting, and more shooting. The Cavs' field three-point percentage last year as a team was good, but they didn't take a lot of three-point shots. They weren't a good. They they had a good percentage at a lower volume. They needed to pick it up and still have guys who could shoot but shoot at a higher volume. And that's what they've done in adding these guys, in adding Struess and in adding Niang. So they're nice additions. Is it enough to take them from a first-round loser to a deep run in the playoffs? No, not by itself. However, if there's growth from Mobley and if there's continued growth from Garland, And if Donovan Mitchell plays like a superstar, which he did in the regular season, but did not in the playoffs, then, yeah, the Cavs could make a run, certainly. But it's hard to be feel excited or all in on them in the regular season because nothing matters until the playoffs. There's nothing the Cavs can do in my mind in the regular season that's going to get me excited about this team in the playoffs until I, I see him play there. It's not going to matter. The cat that wasn't all the Cavs did. They did continue to stay busy. They signed another guard, Ty Jerome, um, kid out of Virginia. He's also will be in his fifth year in the league. He's bounced around. He played off the bench for the Warriors last year. Even started two games. Uh, averaged seven points, two rebounds, three assists in eighteen minutes a game for the Warriors. Also shot well from three, not a big volume, but 39%, averaging two three-pointers a game. For his career, 35%, he's been up and down. 28% as a rookie, then 42% with Oklahoma City in 21-22, then 29% two years ago, and this past season he shot 39%. So he's been up and down, but again, another addition. A younger guy, was a late first-round pick by Philadelphia, although never played for the Sixers. Um, so the, the Cavs have been busy. I give them, I give them credit there. I, again, we're not going to know how much better they are until the playoffs. They, they can't be that much better in the regular season. They won a lot of games in the playoffs. We'll, we'll find out, right? We'll find out just how good they are. But, uh, I mean, I'm not going to complain about what they did. I think overall they did a good, a good job. I'm not convinced it's, it's enough, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll see as time goes by. I I do think the additions are good. I think the Max Struess contract is is a lot, and they might regret that. Uh, but you know, what do I care? I, I I'm not counting their money. And if the ownership is willing to go over the cap, then good. We'll see. Uh, the Cavs also added a backup center 
unlike um, Lopez. It's a guy who's not completely shot. Um, looks like this will be a sign and trade as well. Damian Jones was the 30th overall pick by the Warriors in 2016. Uh, he's He was with youth. I mean, the guy's been all over the place, played for the Warriors three years. Atlanta, Phoenix, Lakers, Sacramento for two years. Uh, and then last year he started the year with the Lakers and then finished the year with Utah. So he's bounced around. He's averaged 14 and a half minutes per game in his career, five points, four rebounds, one assist, one block shot. Um, and, and, uh, so there you go. Uh, he actually, believe it or not, made 10 of 14 threes, 72% three point shooter. How's this free throw shooting? Not bad for a big guy. He's seventy-one percent free throw shooter, so that he gives them just really some a backup, a guy they can they couldn't with with um, with Lopez. They couldn't really use him at all. He was completely useless. So Damian Jones is a guy you can play. You know, I mean, last year he averaged like I said sixteen minutes a game. For his career, he's averaged fifteen minutes a game. He'll he'll he can he can come play a little bit off the bench. Big guy, 6'11", 245, gives him some size. So, yeah, that's fine. Hey, listen, I, I can't kill the Cavs. They didn't have, you know, I'm complaining that, well, they got a guys who shoot, but they can't play defense. You couldn't fix every problem. Their biggest problem was shooting. And even though I think they may at some point regret the Max Struess deal, it's a lot of these guys that have come out of nowhere from Miami haven't done much anywhere else. Maybe Struess will be the exception. It's not like it's that many guys with that big a sample size. They've they re-signed Levert. They, you know, got rid of Jez, uh, Jetty and, and Lamar Stevens, who were, you know, not great players. They've replaced them with better players, and we'll see what kind of difference it makes. So you've you've added four new guys to the roster, uh, replacing the two who are out. And so I think they are a better team. I think they are a deeper team. Is it enough to compete with Miami or or Boston or whatever Philly looks like or or Milwaukee? As we as I've said a bunch of times here already, we, we'll find out with the playoffs. But as much as it sounds like I'm being a little critical, in the end, uh, I give Kobe Altman credit. They had no assets to trade. They had not a ton of cap room, and they've they've added two you know legitimate pieces to the rotation without subtracting any legitimate pieces from the rotation, and then added two you know, decent flyers on the bench and brought back their one guy, Levert. And the only players they lost were Jetty Osman, who was not really usable in the playoffs. They've upgraded his spot. They upgraded Lamar Stevens' spot. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with what they've done. I don't know that they could have done any better than they have here. So I give the Cavs credit. The trade, by the way, if, if you don't have all the details, the three-way deal in the Struess deal that'll become a, official this week. In that deal, they traded two second-round picks. So the Cavs got Struess. They sent a second-round pick to Miami. Miami also got a trade exception there. They sent a second-round pick to San Antonio, and they also sent Jetty and Lamar Stevens to San Antonio. Um, for what it's worth, if you're interested, um, ESPN wrote a column break, you know, give it, with their opinions on all the, the trades that were made. And they gave the Cavs a, an A minus for this one. Uh, what it says, a couple of things I'll give you. 
Looking around the market, uh, the Cavs could have used somebody, a bigger guy, but looking around the market, however, the players who fit that criteria were much weaker shooters who have what would have done little to help uh, the poor floor spacing that doomed Cleveland in the first round loss to the Knicks. Struess and Bruce Bowen, uh, Bruce Brown, who ended up landing a shorter deal for Indiana, with Indiana, were the most complete options among the players who actually changed teams. Despite Struess's down season from behind the arc, uh, he's still a massive upgrade in terms of shooting volume. That's what I was talking about before. Struess still attempted 8.9 three-pointers per 36 minutes during the regular season and 7.5 in the playoffs. No Cavaliers rotation player except for Donovan Mitchell attempted more than 7.3 during the regular season. As a result, let's see, uh, Struess fits the Cleveland's timeline. Uh, they mentioned he mentions the possibility of a Coro still developing and becoming a starter. I, I find that hard to believe, but I guess you never know. Uh, let's see. Cleveland benefited from the fact that the team's outgoing salary wasn't so bad. The Cavs made the decision early this week to guarantee Osmond's modest $6.7 million salary, while Stevens' $1.9 million minimum salary is not guaranteed in order to facilitate the reported, uh, reported Struess contract under the new NBA collective bargaining agreement. About one-fifth of that will have to be guaranteed. As a result, Cleveland was able to pull this deal off, sending out only second-round picks in return that not only allowed the Cavaliers to offer Struess more money, but also to retain their mid-level exception, which they'll use to sign George Niang to join the second unit, a move we already talked about. Let's go to baseball. Cleveland Guardians begin this week, the final week before the All-Star break, although we are past the halfway point. The Guardians have played 83 games, have 79 games left on the season. They are tied for first in the American League Central, one game under 500. Yes, it's hard to believe that they are tied for first, even though they're a game under 500, but that is where they sit in this often talked about American League Central. Uh, because this division is so bad, this four teams still very much in it. Minnesota and Cleveland are tied. Tigers are four games back, and the White Sox are five and a half back. All four of those teams, I would say, have a legitimate shot of winning this division because nobody has uh, pulled away. Guardians had a very interesting weekend to get back within a game of 500. After losing the series opener, getting crushed by the Cubs 10-1, they bounced back and did a really nice job these last two games. First on Saturday, because I want to spend more time on yesterday's game because it was Little, it was interesting the way it ended. Uh, on Saturday, the Guardians took it to uh, Marcus Stroman, who's an all-star and maybe the starting pitcher for the Cubs uh, for the all-star game of the National League. Stroman's last two starts, though, have not been good, including this one, where the uh, Mets roughed him up a bit. Uh, Mets, the Guardians roughed him up a bit, given, getting five runs and seven base runners in five and two-thirds. Tanner Bybee in this one, uh, went five and two-thirds. If it was me, I would have let him try to get out of the sixth. Francona didn't do it. Pulled him. 96 pitches. Had six strikeouts, five base runners, no runs in five and two-thirds. Bullpen closed it out. Easy 6 nothing win. I thought it was going to be another easy win for the Guardians yesterday. Didn't turn out to be the case. They did win, but it wasn't easy. So this game was fascinating. The Guardians had a 6 nothing lead at the end of, the, uh, the end of four and a half. <clears throat> They had a 6-1 lead going to the bottom of the eighth and a 6-2 lead in the bottom of the ninth. In the bottom of the ninth, 
Emmanuel Classe, who was just named an all-star earlier in the day, came in to close. Walked the first batter, then got an out. Uh, and then he threw a couple of pass balls, and he looked completely out of sorts. But it's still, runner on third, one out, 6-2 game. Classe is going to get the job done. He did not. Trey Mancini got a single. A couple of infield singles Josh Naylor couldn't handle. And all of a sudden, it's 6-3, and the bases are loaded. Christopher Morell then got a base hit up the middle, scoring two runs to make it 6-5. Cody Bellinger to sacrifice fly the tie of the game. Now, he did get out of it then, but 6-6. But in the 10th, the Guardians rally back. An infield single put runners at the corners to start the inning. Remember, the in the extra innings, of course, you get the runner on second. And then Josh Naylor, who had had, you know, kind of failed defensively in the top and the bottom of the ninth, um, comes through with a base hit, second and third, one out, single up the middle. Jimenez and Rosario both score. They take an 8-6 lead. Cubs did nothing in the bottom of the 10th against Sam Hentges. Did a nice job. One, two, three inning, uh, two strikeouts and a ground out. And in a game a little reminiscent of game seven of the 2016 World Series, the Guardians get at least a tiny level of revenge. You had a rain delay. You had a big blown lead. You have the closer giving it up in a surprising fashion uh, for the home, for the road team. And then the road team winning the game after blowing a ninth inning lead. Obviously it's a regular season game, not the world series. And neither this guardians team nor this Cubs team is as good as the Indians team or the Cubs team in 2016. But at least, at least for one night, it it felt good to win that type of way after you'd blown it. Now it wasn't good to see Classe blow that lead, but it had to feel good to pull out that game. Would have been an absolutely brutal loss for the Guardians, and they would have been th- they would have been uh, three games under 500 instead of one. Now they have a legitimate shot to get over 500 before the All Star break. They're going to have to survive the Braves. You know, the Braves, they play, they, they play tonight at home. Their final seven games are at home against the Braves. The Braves are seem absolutely unstoppable right now. The Braves have won uh, <clears throat> eight in a row and I think 16 of their last 17. I think they had two eight-game winning streaks. Let me just double-check that. They won eight then lost an 11-10 game game to the Reds, and now they've won eight in a row again. So they've won 16 out of 17. Actually, if you go further back than that, um, let me see here. Yeah, so the Braves won seven in a row, then lost two, then won eight in a row, then lost one, and now they've won eight in a row again. So they've won 23 of their last 26 games. The Braves after losing to Arizona on June the 2nd, we're 33-24. and 24. Still good. Nine games over 500. So they were nine games over 500 on June 2nd. Now, on July 2nd, or July 3rd now, they are 56-27. and 27. So they've gone from nine games over 500 to 29 games over 500 in a month. That's remarkable. So this series is going to be very challenging for the Guardians, but then they get to play the Royals. If they could just win, and it won't be easy, again, the the Braves have been unstoppable. They're the best team in baseball by a lot right now. 
But if the Guardians could just find a way to win one at home against Atlanta, uh, that would put them at two games under 500. Then if they could sweep Kansas City, they could finish over 500. At the very least, if they could take one against Atlanta and win three out of four against Kansas City, they would get to the All-Star break at 500. Um, it's, I mean, right now it, feel, it feels like impossible to beat the Braves. I mean, it's just crazy how great they're playing. And I didn't even realize that it was that. It was 23 out of 26. I knew they'd been sizzling hot since the beginning of June. I didn't realize it was that. I hadn't looked at it until just now. They have a nine-game lead in the National League East. Man, the Mets are 18 and a half games out of first. That is just wild. 18 and a half with the largest payroll in the history of baseball. They're 18 and a half games out of first place. They're eight games out of the third wild card, the Mets. That's, a, that's just beautiful. And the Padres, too. The Padres and Mets are tied for the fourth worst record in the National League. Who had that? Who had the Cardinals with the third worst record in the National League and the Mets and Padres tied for the fourth worst? Nobody had that. Nobody. Those have been those teams have, are the three biggest disappointments. Those are the only three teams under 500 that you thought would be playoff teams. Uh, the Mariners, but they're only two games under. The Mariners, Guardians, fine twins, but those games are those teams are a game or two under. The Mets and Padres are eight games under 500, and the Cardinals are 13 games under 500. Although they did just win a series against the Yankees, which is always challenging for me who to root for in that because I just have a high level of disdain for both the Yankees and the Cardinals. Respect, but disdain. But uh, so overall, it was a good weekend for the Guardians. Put a decent team on the road. Decent, you know, their level of team on the road. And they took two out of three. And especially after getting pummeled in the first game. So listen, all, overall, they've played better here. Uh, since losing those first two games to the Diamondbacks a couple of weeks ago, they have won nine of their last 13. So they're playing much better baseball. Uh, and I, they got a shot to get over 500 uh, before the All-Star break. But again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really, chi- uh, really, really tricky uh, against the Braves. I mean, it's just hard to believe that they could um, uh, lose a series right now. It, it really is. Uh, by the way, Brown's training camp getting underway in just a couple of weeks is this month. Now, the Browns will have uh, less training camp days open to the public than they have in the past because they're going away. Uh, but still, it's right around the corner, and there will be some days that fans can go to practice. And obviously, some of us in the media will have additional access. Uh, but the, the, the Browns are reporting to camp uh, in West Virginia in 19 days. I mean, that's how close we are to football getting underway. I think we need it. All-star game next week, and right after that, it's right around the corner. All right, thanks to Monzo for producing, as always. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, I'll be back on Wednesday after the 4th of July. Talk some national sports then. A lot to get to. It's going to be a crazy week, right, leading up to the all-star break. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Where else? But right here. It's Adam the Bull in Cleveland, brought to you by Bet Rivers. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Bull in Cleveland on the Bet Rivers Network.